0: You are listening to the KC Food Guys Podcast. Welcome back to the KC Food Guys podcast. In today's episode, we sat down with Todd Johns from Plowboys Barbecue in Blue Springs. Plowboys opened up in September of 2013, so they've been open for three years this month. And they opened a second location in downtown in January of 2015. Their downtown location is currently moving uh, from about 11th and Main to 11th and Main, right uh, right in front of one of the... Streetcar uh, streetcar stops. To give you a little background on Todd uh, he started the Pork Pull and Plowboys competition barbecue team back in 2001 with his brother-in-law. Plowboys got their first grand championship in Kearney Missouri in 2007 and in 2008 they got a first place in pork at the American Royal. 2009 was their big year. They won the American Royal Grand Champion, plus four other Grand Champions that year, in 22 contests. In 2010, they finished in the top ten in both the American Royal Invitational and the American Royal Open. In 2011, they again finished in the top ten in the American Royal Invitational. Like I said, 2013, they opened up Plowboys in Blue Springs. This interview happened in early August, and we hit on a number of topics, how Todd got started in barbecue, how he got good at barbecue, and what it was like to win the American Royal, and also what it's like to open a restaurant, specifically a barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. We hope you enjoy the interview. If you enjoy it, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, or drop us a note on social media. Or just share it on social media. That'd be great. We'd really appreciate that. Again, I think there's something here for everybody, so sit back, relax, and take a listen. I will say towards the end of the interview, one of my recorders went out, so I had to use my backup recording and mix that in. So hopefully you won't notice too much of a difference, but with that, enjoy. Hey, this is Steve Rule with KC Food Guys, and we're here with Todd Johns from Clawboys and Blue Springs. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Before we get started, going into kind of all the barbecue, why don't you let folks know kind of what were you doing prior to two thousand one? What what was Todd doing back in pre two thousand?
1: Prior to barbecue. Prior to barbecue. Uh, well, I I was a newlywed at that time. Married my wife in two thousand, and so uh, very early in our marriage the the barbecue kind of came from that relationship and her older brother and I. And so prior to that, I probably was single most of the time prior <laughs> to that and, and no family and um, working in uh, technology and IT and doing some traveling with my job. I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico and Hampton, Virginia. and. Uh, wow had uh, an opportunity to travel to Japan for a month and so I got to see the country and a little bit of the world during that time and um, I did a lot of woodworking prior to barbecue I still do a little woodworking I still have my wood shop and so that was my hobby before barbecue and then and then barbecue kind of replaced that I'm I'm kind of one of these guys that when I see something that interests me I I want to learn how to do it and maybe not necessarily master it, but be good enough and and competent enough in it that I feel like, okay, I know how to do that. And so I'm not a great woodworker, but I can make things and I can make some nice things. And uh, right now, uh, and that's how barbecue came about for me was I remember watching a show on public television and they were talking about Arthur Bryant's and they showed these guys Cooking a brisket, and they said you know it was going to take them 18 or 20 hours, and I never understood that someone took more than four or five hours to cook things. Mm-hmm. And so this whole notion that if you want to eat tomorrow, you better start planning and working on it today amazed me, and why something would take that long to, to prepare and cook, and. Again, just the idea that, you know, you want to eat right now, we can run across the street to McDonald's and grab some food or go to your cabinet and throw something on the stove. But if you want to eat barbecue brisket, you, you better start today if you want to eat it tomorrow. And so that fascinated me because I'd never experienced that before, even though I'd eaten brisket, didn't know how it was prepared. And so it fascinated me. And it just drew me into learning about what it really took to prepare barbecue because I'd been eating it for a long time, but I didn't have any appreciation for what it took to prepare it. And so now my hobby is, uh, is beading and different craft pieces with little seed beads, you know, Uh the the sign, the size of a mustard seed and, and stuff. So just kind of discovered that and, Really had an appreciation for it, and thought, "I wonder if I could do that." And so now I'm challenging myself to learn some of that stuff. So barbecue is one of those hobbies, and I've always been a hobby guy. And barbecue is one of those hobbies that just gradually turned into a little business, and then turned into, you know, a, a lifestyle for us in some ways. So so when you when you saw that show, that kind of got you the first
0: uh, interest in barbecue. How long before Pork Pull and Bow team was formed in 2001? Was that like, you know, a couple weeks later? Was that a couple of years later?
1: Um, it was It was probably three years prior. So we started in 2001. I would say that was about 1998, 1999. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I started on a little $80 Brinkman thing in my backyard, in my town home, um, cooking some things. And then when I got acquainted with my wife's oldest brother, Randy, you know, then we started going back and forth. And I, I specifically remember the first time I ever cooked ribs. And that was something that he and I went back and forth on. And then I bought a rack of ribs and cooked them on my little Brinkman. And I, I specifically remember that. I remember the first time I ever cooked a pork butt. And uh, How long was that? first time how long did it take yeah a lot longer than i thought it was (laughs) gonna take but i remember i remember it was very good and then i remember many of them after that not being very good but i remember the first one being being pretty good and maybe it wasn't but maybe it was just that i was so proud of it or something but i remember that one being very good I i remember a lot of like bad experimental barbecue and probably reading too many Steven Reichlin cookbooks. <laughs> and, and you know, getting into the Steven Reichland World Food barbecue arena, and then just now back that off in kind of Kansas City KCBS, you know style. But yeah, I remember a lot of bad things that I've made. And, and I always say in the competition world, we were, we were terrible for a long, long time, and and the the competition circuit back then was very different than it is now. Where there was no real internet um, content out there to help you. Um, there were no real discussion boards, or there was no Facebook. There was you no know, pictures. It was just straight trial and error. It was trial and error, and it and there weren't really a whole lot of people mentoring back then either because everyone kept what they were doing so close to themselves and... Is that still the case today? Or no, that I think some? well there were no classes back then and so today I think classes have taught a lot of people and have short-circuited a lot of success for people and I've taken classes too so you know in some ways part of that and I've given classes but there's so much more information available, and I think the classes that you can take are part of it, and then once like you and I take the same class, well, now we can start talking to each other because we already know each other has the same base knowledge, uh-huh. and then has the same kind of insider information, so we're not, I'm not really sharing with you something you don't already know, and so now it just becomes you and I talking about What are our experiences based on the things we learned in class? Mm -hmm. So it opens up the door to mentoring. It opens up the door to learning from someone else's experience. And that whole phenomenon did not exist when we started. It probably did not exist until about 2006, 2007. Mm -hmm. And now, I mean, someone wins a grand championship and it seems like they're hosting class next week. So... You know, is it good or is it bad? I don't really know. Um, It certainly has changed things. Certainly, you know, uh, we, our first grand championship was 2007, and I calculated at the time there must have been about 70 contests under our belt by the time that happened. And that's a lot. And you don't see, you don't, you. let me put it this way, you see a lot of people now with, a lot less contests winning their first one mm-hmm. and they can short they can short circuit their learning curve whereas we did there were no opportunities to do that mm-hmm. if there were we certainly would have taken them now when you started in of those
0: 70 contests from you know first one to the grand champion in 2007 were you were you totally serious going into it or was it more of just like hey let's try this out see if we have a good time
1: we were i think we were totally serious going into it we were in it to win it but at the same time we wanted it to be social so we were probably bridging the two in our first few years we would bring out a 10 by 10 canopy for us to work under and then we'd bring a 10 by 20 that would host everyone else you know family friends would come out and we're cooking for them and then we're trying to do a contest and it wasn't until we kind of realized that that was our distraction that we started doing better. And so did you shut that the 10 yep. by 20 tent down and just yep. focus
0: on your 10 by 10?
1: Yep. And we we took a class um, the very first class that Laudable, Mike and Debbie Davis had done. It was in Lynchburg at the Jack Daniel's facility. And it was 2000 it was 2007, it was the spring of that year, and it was Randy's 50th birthday and so to celebrate his birthday we went out and paid 500 bucks a piece to go take that class. And, and uh, they didn't give up any recipes, but it was probably the turning point for us. And again, by the end of that year, won the first Grand Champion. But what we saw from them was they had an RV, they had a smoker, and they had two chairs and that was it they didn't have anything else set up and they had a rhythm and they were doing they were the most successful barbecue team at that time just phenomenal and they were doing it every weekend they were probably cooking 42 weekends a year and so we were cooking 12 or 8 and killing ourselves it would be two pickup trucks loaded up and a smoker behind us and and uh, every time we would go to do a contest we'd touch everything four times you'd load it you'd unload it you'd load it back up you'd take it home and then you're so tired it might sit in the back of your truck for a day or two and what we saw them was with them was a system and a process and simplicity and if you're going to do it 42 weeks you can't load it, you can't touch everything four times and so that changed the mindset for us and we got rid of a lot of things we didn't need and even to this day when i compete and even in the restaurant i'm always looking to see what can i do without like what step can i do i really need it i'm always challenging myself can i do the same thing but with one less step or one less thing i have to go out and buy at the store before i go to the contest or and And so you know my ribs went from like 14 steps and seven ingredients to I quit wrapping them I quit putting all the brown sugar and my scores went up and so I think that's the one thing that really helped us was figuring out how you can push those numbers do more contests and not kill yourself in the process because that stamina is uh, is so important, you know? From Friday night, you're there, you're you're all amped up, you're ready to go, you're excited, and by Saturday morning, if you've stayed up all night and if you've just done way more work than you need to, by the time turn-ins come in, you're dead, and that's going to affect your performance. So, you know, that's that really was a learning opportunity for me that I carry into my day-to-day here at the restaurant too, and. You know, can I can I eliminate some of the steps here so that I can get more work done in the same amount of time, and or or can I eliminate steps for my people? And we just finished doing a big remodel of our line area here to try to eliminate a lot of those steps to make their jobs more efficient. It makes them faster it um, wears them out a little bit less it helps them with their burnout factor and they can have more stamina and and don't get as tired at the end of the night or you know stick around here a little longer because job's not burning them out you know it's all those things that um you know around here you know process is king for us and uh, we're getting ready to have a kitchen meeting this afternoon with a lot of process Mm -hmm. that we're going to be talking about and that's the way you know you get repeatable results predictable results is through process and for me uh, that that kind of way of thinking came from the competition circuit but it also came from the job that I had prior to this and that was being a business analyst a project manager a software developer in IT it's it's all about business process and um, you know competition barbecue is no different mm-hmm. um, you want those predictable results so you know if i do steps a b c i better do a b c every time um, and if i don't need b then i might, then can i do it with a and c and get the same results so
0: well in 2007 you said you won your first grand champion at carney and then two years later you have the crown on right next to us. Right. The, the American Royal.
1: What was that like? Um, it, it was uh, It was like riding a roller coaster. I had so much adrenaline. And this was before everyone had video on their phones. And we had some people that had some HD cameras with them. And so there is some video out there. I think nowadays there'd be a hundred videos or more, probably a thousand videos on everyone's phone, but in those, I remember sitting up on stage and I could just feel my chest like just about ready to explode and just deep, these deep breaths and it literally felt like I was on a roller coaster. That that feeling of that rush of adrenaline, you know, as you're, as you're coming up and then down that roller coaster and, uh, you know, it was a little... It was unbelievable, and it was exciting, and it was, you know, one of the biggest days of my life, for sure. Does anything else come close from a, a barbecue contest? Oh, from a, not for me, not uh, from a barbecue perspective. I mean, from a life perspective, I can't I can't put it higher than the adoption of my kids or, you know, my marriage or my wedding day or anything like that, but, you know, from a barbecue experience, I was fortunate... Um, a couple years later, I think it was 2011, that we got um, three first place categories at Pleasant Hill. And so we got first in chicken, and then they called us first in ribs, and then first in pork. And uh, that was, if it wasn't for the Royal, I would say that was the biggest day of our barbecue career. I mean, that was, to get those first three categories they just keep calling your name it was like unreal what's and going it, on here i remember the same like rush of adrenaline and and excitement over that you know and and, and then we got i think it was 12th and 12th or 14th and brisket so <laughs> we we weren't able to sweep the whole thing but to, to get three, I mean, I've only seen a few people do that. And to get four is Have you really seen anybody rare. do four at yeah. a KCBS? There have, been, there have been people, but, I mean, those are rare. I, I wonder if there's even a it's dozen. Like perfect games out there. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if there's even a dozen of those in history. I, I don't know, but um, I know that I can probably only think of about six or eight that have ever gotten all four categories. Um, and, and three is very, very tough. So... That, that, was, that was a good day for us, but the, the Royal definitely tops them all. I mean, you can't, you can't top that. So do you still compete in any today? Um, the, the official answer is yes, but not like we did. I mean, we were doing 25 contests a year um, and had a run of about four years where we were doing that many. Um, my, my count right now is about 212 contests. Last year, we only did one contest, and that was the American Royal. Just could not fit it in with the growing business. So, Mm -hmm. you know, last year we expanded to a second location. Um, Our business uh, grew 89% last year. Wow. Um, A lot of growth in Blue Springs. And then we're still double-digit growth this year. So it just seems like there's. this is where I need to be is in the restaurant right now. And there's... there's always time for competitions though it'll be there for a long long time Mm -hmm. probably longer than me and then i've got two boys that are 11 and 12 years old and we do a lot of scouts and they're in the you know weekends
0: are hard to take away from yeah
1: they're in the beginning to middle of their scouting careers and you know it's not many years and those are gone so you know my priorities have been has been competition barbecue you know, this is our 16th year of competing without missing a year, but I think at some point we'll come back to it more heavily. But right now, I've got, I've got a, a budding, growing business that offers me challenges every single day. I've got, a, you know, a, still a fairly young family, and before we blink, those boys are going to be gone and uh, off to college or whatever they're planning to do. So those are my priorities right now and competition barbecue you know we'll probably will come back to it um, more heavily but uh, this year we cook pleasant hill Um, we're going to be at fire and ice and independence we're co-sponsoring that contest and then we'll be at the american royal we're vending again this year and so you know that's kind of it i think for us we were hoping to do six or eight this year but it just isn't working out Mm -hmm. too many other priorities so the folks that are out
0: there that are looking to get into competition barbecue, what advice would you give them about the whole barbecue circuit, cooking week in, week out? I know you said some with the efficiencies, try not to, you know, try to streamline your process, not to worry you out. Mm-hmm. What other
1: things would you say to somebody who's looking to get into it? The way we started was we first took the judging class and we then judged some contests. So it allows you to interface with some judges, it allows you to see a lot of entries and it allows you to adjust your taste buds to what they're seeing in the judges tent and so then it gives you a marker that you can look to and I I remember saying in 2006, 2006 that I now know, maybe it was 2007, I now know what good food is and I just remember that being like a, a pivotal period where all of a sudden my brain and my taste buds got in sync and I understood I could pick out when we did a good job and when we didn't and the scores were no longer <clears throat> a mystery. The scores weren't as much of a mystery. They're always a a mystery. mystery. But I just remember, all of a sudden, it it was like an epiphany of, okay, I understand now this is quality and this isn't, and this is kind of what they're looking for, and and, uh, I think a lot of cooks just kind of shoot in the dark, or I think a lot of cooks that are struggling are just shooting in the dark and they don't have that baseline. And I think once you get that baseline and the best way to do it is either A, in the judging tent by being a judge or B, taking some classes. So those would be my two pieces of advice is use the opportunities you have available to you and that's judging, but you can go out and do for free and then you know drop some money on some classes. Even if those classes are 500, $700, you're going to get that back at some point. You're going to you're going to spend way more than that on half a dozen contests. The other thing is if you're really searching for a grand championship, you got to cook 12 or more contests. It it happens. I mean, sometimes people come out and win their very first one. It's dumb luck. And if you have to cook in my opinion a dozen contests or more if you want a good probability of winning a contest. It's all about pushing the numbers, and you see these guys that are winning a lot, they're out there a lot, they're out there, some of them are out there 30, 40 contests a year. I never did more than 26, but I just couldn't. You know, and they're sacrificing a lot to be out there too, they're sacrificing, time at their job, they may be putting their job at risk. I know guys that have kinda, you know, pushed their employer about as far as they could just to be out there another weekend. Some of them are, you know, they may be bringing their family along, they may not, but, you know, if they're bringing their family along, in my opinion, they're, they're sacrificing a little bit of quality time with their, with their family um, by focusing on barbecue instead of fishing or camping or something like that we refer to competition barbecue as camping with a purpose. (laughs) It's going out with a a trailer or a tent and sleeping outside or sleeping in a parking lot. But you got a purpose for being there. So, you know, there's things that these folks that are out there every weekend or, you know, they're, they're giving up in the rest of their life, but they're making that decision. And there were certain times when I was out there more that I could feel that. Like, I could feel like Am I pushing my employer a little too much? Am I um, pushing my family a little too much just so that I can be out here more, you know? And that's, I think, uh, you know, the Olympics are going on right now, and I'm sure those Olympians are feeling the same way. You know, they've got this goal and this dream, and they're making sacrifices in order to have that goal realized. So, you know, that's, that's part of it. And I think that's true with anything in life. If you've got something you want to do, whether it's open your own business um, or you know be involved in some competitive outlet, there might be some sacrifices that you need to make in order to be there and, and do it well. So
0: along the way, you started to come up with your own rubs. What, mm-hmm. About what point did that occur and that you started then packaging that for sale?
1: The Yardbird Rub, which is our still our biggest one volume wise. That started with Randy and I back when we in 2001 when we first started. That was our only original recipe, the only thing that we made ourselves and we had that from 2001 until 2007 and it was our chicken rub and that's why we called it Yardbird and we would use it, we would not use it, we would not do well when we used it, we would not do well when we didn't use it, so we finally realized it wasn't the rubs fault, we were just bad chicken cooks. (laughs) And then in 2007, we were kicking around, you know, how do we make some money at this so that we can support our habit, our our hobby, and so uh, January of 2007, I started playing around with uh, figuring out how to package it and sell it. and have it, you know, make it, and mm-hmm. quantities more than a couple pounds, and so it all started in our kitchen at home, and I bought some bottles, and I bought some labels, and I had a, a 25-gallon Rubbermaid tub and a wooden spoon, and a friend of mine was a spice dealer, and I bought all these raw ingredients in bulk from him, and when I say bulk, I mean like a... Uh, a I was buying five pound containers and then I was buying 25 pound containers and you know now we're buying tons at a time but Mm -hmm. (laughs) so then I would sit and mix all this up and I would sit and stir it with a spoon and mix it all up and a batch would take me all evening it would take about three hours and it would make 30 it would make 35 pounds and so it was about three cases of rub that would take me all evening to measure mix pack label Mm -hmm. and that was fine for about i don't know six months a year at most it was when i had 12 cases 144 shakers that i had to get out the door in one week that was all i was doing every night was making rub and and so that was when I realized, okay, I need someone else to do this. And I went to Old World Spice, and they've been doing it ever since. So Yardbird, has, Yardbird will will reach its 10-year anniversary this January 2017. Congratulations. And I will have been with Old World doing it for probably nine of those years. And, uh, and what I found was that they could do it as... They could do it for probably the same cost or maybe even a little I think they were a little bit cheaper than what it was costing me to do it all myself. And so, you know, sometimes we think, well, if I do this myself and just, you know, muscle up and, and do it myself, I can save a bunch of money. And at the end of the day, all I was doing was causing myself a lot of work. Spending and, some time. And spending some time. <laughs> so so that that's where it all kicked off ten years ago almost and then uh, a couple of years later, we did the bovine rub. I think that was in 2008. and Yeah, because we used it in 2009. So, I don't know if it was 2008 or 2009. We came, it was 2008 we came up with the bovine rub and started using that. And then um, that became available on the market in 2009, I believe. And so now we've got three rubs, five sauces, and the bean base that we use in the restaurant we are now offering as a product as well. So, you know, we're talking about process and when we first opened the restaurant in Blue Springs, we would you know, take a case of beans and all the things that we put with it, we would sit and measure out and mix and and as our business grew, we started to look at how do we how do we in the same space double our volume and so you start looking at where can I change process in order to accommodate that growth? And one of, that one, one of those areas was in our beans. So same recipe, the recipe hasn't changed, but all those things that we put in with that case of beans, we have our sauce maker make for us. Mm-hmm. And so we get five-gallon buckets of our bean base that we've got a ratio of beans to the base, and then we add our own meat. And so all that work that used to happen in our kitchen, we just, elsewhere. we just send off elsewhere. And, uh, and so, as a result, our beans take a lot less time for us to put together, which allows us to do more work here. But then it also creates a retail product for us, and now um, we're able to have that bean base be a, a pint jar and a, and a retail product that can be on the shelves. So, so how many rubs do you have now? I know you have the bovine and the yard bird. And then we have fin and feather, which is okay. our, which is our um, fish and, and chicken rub. Um, we had a rub. I guess technically we still do have a rub called the Jerk. It was a Jerk seasoning. Um, The costs on it, because there was a lot of dehydrated um, citrus in it, um, lime lime and lemon peel, and and, uh, the cost on it got so much that it was, what I was selling it for was what it was costing me, and we just kind of let that go. There are some places that buy it direct from, with our label, it's our product, they buy it direct from Old World, but we quit distributing that ourselves because it just wasn't cost effective. It was a good product; people still are asking for it. But mm-hmm. um, you know, other than just stripping it down and making it an inferior product, it was better just to leave it behind. And then we've got five sauces now. We started out with the sweet 180 and the Enfuego. We were using other people's sauce and felt like we needed our own. We got the Enfuego.
0: That I know the Crossroads when I came here for the the. Uh, 64 tournament earlier mm-hmm. this year. That was that was my favorite. Was the Crossroads.
1: Well, when we first opened the restaurant, all we had was our two sauces, and the Enfuego is the sweet 180 with um, heat added to it. And it all came from catering. We wanted to have our own sauce, and we would have people that would ask for a spicy sauce, and so we thought, well, we can kind of have two without two completely different recipes, um, and so. That's where those two came out the gate. When we opened the restaurant, they were the only two we had. Well, they're, they're both pretty sweet. And if you don't like sweet, we needed something else on the table. And we immediately went to work on Crossroads. And so we feel really good with Crossroads. Um, we feel like it's a very, it was very intentional that we wanted a Kansas City style sauce. And I've eaten a lot of Kansas City barbecue in the 24 years I've been here. And, you know, I wanted the celery seed that you get at Gates when you eat their beans. And I wanted the cinnamon that you get, kind of that cinnamony note from Rosedale's. And so I tried to, and and there's mustard in it, which the Joe's sauce and the Gates sauce all have some mustard in it. And so I wanted something that wasn't like anyone else's sauce, Mm -hmm. but was influenced by everyone else's sauce. And so that's why we put the KC name on it because we intentionally tried to have something that was our house sauce that fit in with the fabric of all these other iconic places and and their flavors as well. So to me, it's the flavor of Kansas City. And then now we've got uh, a vinegar sauce, uh, which we call Tar Heel Tang. It's a Piedmont style barbecue sauce. The Piedmont region of North Carolina. Um, it's a it's a, a vinegar, primarily a vinegar base with some tomato and some sugar and some heat. And we use a habanero mash in it, which uh, brings a lot of fruitiness from the habanero plus a lot of heat. It's it's not super spicy, but it does have that that punch that you expect from vinegar sauce. Not Kansas City whatsoever, but mm-hmm. um, I think it's a very good. Piedmont-style Carolina sauce. And then we have the hot head, which the, the En Fuego is a good sauce, but it's sweet and spicy. And the people that wanted hot sauce wanted it to blow their heads off. They didn't want any sweet with it. And so we took our Crossroads recipe, stripped a couple things out of it, and then um, so that it, you know, we still kind of use this base recipe, but we just didn't want to take crossroads and throw a bunch of habanero in it. So we stripped some things out, modified that recipe, added dried habanero instead of the mash, um, so you get more of that that uh, spicy punch to it. And that one's hot. I can't eat a bunch of it, and I'm about done. <laughs> so, and I can handle some heat, but... So and, for
0: somebody that's cooking on the weekends in, in some of these contests, do you think the most of the success comes from the sauce, the rub, or just the overall consistency of the, the temperature?
1: It is all the above, and I think the thing in competitions is everything has to be balanced because the judge is looking for a differentiator. The judge is looking for something that's out of balance. They're looking for something that's out of bounds. It's either... Overcooked, undercooked, too salty, not salty enough, too spicy, no spice, too sweet, too savory. So they're looking for the the too much, or the not enough, but mostly they're looking for the too much. Usually the too much stands out more. And so when cooks are assembling their their recipes and when they're when they're working their process, they're trying to make sure that everything's in balance. And uh, there has to be some sweet there. There has to be a little spicy there. There has to be a little tangy there. You want, you want to make sure all those taste buds are getting hit, but not one of them is registering more than the other. We would even do things like, if you understand how peppers work, white pepper hits the front of your tongue, black pepper is more the middle of the palate, and red pepper is the back. And so when you, when you eat something that's got a black pepper bite, it usually hits you in the middle of the bite. If you have something with white pepper, which we don't probably understand as well because white pepper is usually not as distinctive or we don't use it as much, it'll hit more in the beginning of the bite. The whenever you eat something which we would call spicy, it's always, "Oh man, this is good. Whoa, there it is," right? Uh-huh. And so that's the back of the palate and it comes on late. And so what we would do to make sure that everything Um, kind of registered at the same time or at a similar time. Sweet's gonna hit you first, salty's gonna hit you pretty early, but then the then the red peppers are toward the back of the palate. They're gonna hit you late. We would take pepper, we would take like chipotle pepper or cayenne pepper, put it on the bottom of the rib. So that when you take a bite of the rib, how do you eat your rib? You don't eat it upside down. You eat it with the meat side up and the bone side down. Well we would make sure that red pepper would hit your tongue right away. And then more of the sweet on the top of the rib. So as you chew, it takes some time for that sweet to get down to your taste buds, but the red pepper's already there, so by the time they kind of connect, they're connecting at the same time. It balances out. And your, your bite is balanced. And so, you know, it's things like that that the competition barbecue guys are trying, gals are trying to do is, is have everything in balance and figure out how they can, you know, offer all this complexity, but not have one thing stand out in, in that bite. Cause it's a, it's a one or two bite challenge. Mm-hmm. So, and, and competition barbecue typically is not something you can sit down and eat. It's a one or two bites. It's, it's typically too rich, too sweet, too, you know, too much that you couldn't sit down and eat the whole thing. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what is the difference between
0: cooking for a contest and cooking for a restaurant? Mm. How did you have to modify your, your recipes?
1: Yeah, there's. Um, I would even add a third one in there, and that's cooking for catering. So um, when, you're, when you're cooking for a contest, or if you're cooking for your backyard, the difference is you're cooking one, one brisket or two briskets. Here, you know, we're cooking 30, 40 briskets Mm -hmm. um, at the same time. So the ability to handle all those in the same way I would handle one, you know, you you almost, uh, if I treated all my briskets here the exact same way I treat my competition brisket, uh, there's no way you could afford it. I'd be charging $40 a pound Um, Because there's so much handling of that one piece of meat just to baby it all the way through. So, you know, there's that. The one thing we learned here being, you know, we did a lot of catering leading up to the restaurant. And so we felt coming into the restaurant, we knew how to cook large quantities of food, Mm -hmm. cook them well, hold them, travel them, serve them. We could serve... You know we could serve 300 people in 20 minutes and the food would be great from you know the first guest to the 300th guest here at the restaurant the challenge was you got to cook the same amount of food you're gonna you're gonna serve 300 people but instead of 20 minutes you got to do it over nine hours to order so it's it's one thing to cook a bunch of food do it well throw Start it out at the
0: same time throw it out on a buffet
1: line versus made to order all these different things and, and you know instead of cooking two proteins we're cooking six proteins instead of cooking two sides we're cooking gosh what do we have 12 different sides so that was the challenge here was how do you you want the first guest to have the same experience a 300th guest has But instead of a 20-minute lag, you have a nine-hour lag. And then you have to do it seven days a week. And so leading up to a catering job, we might start shopping three or four days out. We might start cooking 24 hours ahead of that job. And then once you're done, you come, you you clean up, you go home, and you might do it again the next weekend. Here it's clean it up and let's do it again tomorrow. I mean, you're already working on tomorrow, the day. We talk here a lot in the kitchen about... You know we're always working two days ahead of ourselves. Um, just like the brisket that I saw on the public television show, you know, 18 years ago, where they're they're doing 18-hour brisket. And if you want to have brisket tomorrow, you you better start today. You know we talk about that here. If, if we haven't procured it and you know trimmed it and had it ready to go, you're not going to have it tomorrow. So. Sometimes we're looking at two days out on things, you know, making sure that we've got the product we need, that we're processing it the way we need to process it and and be ready so that two days from now we're not running out. So w- what point along the way did the restaurant come into mind? In 2007, I was laid off of a job I had had for 10 years, only the second job I'd ever had after college. And, um, you know, just the front end of a lot of layoffs during that, that coming time. And my wife was like, you, you know, you should look at doing barbecue full time. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a passion for it. You want to do it. You're good at it. And I just said, we're not ready for that. We don't have what we need to do it. Um, Financially. We don't have what we need. Equipment wise. We don't have what we need. Maybe experience wise. We don't have what we need, but uh, having 10 years in that, in that job I had a enough of a severance that I just kinda cooked barbecue for about five months, did some catering, did a lot of competitions. That you know, led into being able to just focus on barbecue and not worry about the job. Um, probably is what got us to our first grand championship. I ended up I think two weeks after we won our first grand championship, I got another job. So <laughs> That's so <how> it works. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know so we wanted to do it back then but just didn't feel like it was the right time went back into um, IT for another six years and then through selling rubs um, there was a gentleman that uh, was always coming and picking up product for his store in Omaha and uh, lived here in Kansas City and was part owner in the Hub Barbecue in Omaha and got to know Todd and and one conversation, one conversation led to another. And before you knew it, we were like, we should open a restaurant together. Neither one of us have any restaurant experience, <laughs> but you know, um, I knew barbecue and he knew business and I had been in, in uh, business for a while too. So we, um, we got together and, and we found this place in blue Springs, just less than a mile from where I live. And, um, uh-huh. uh, The rest is kind of history. So it just was kind of him coming in and um, applying, you know, what he knew and me applying what I knew and establishing this partnership where, you know, Todd handles, I always say, Todd handles all the finances. I handle making all the money. (laughs) So, you know, it allows me to, um, having this partnership, this 50-50 partnership you know, he handles the back office side while I, I handle the operations and the marketing and and all that so I don't think that without my business partner this would even be possible because it is very daunting and there's a lot of challenges and if I had to deal if I had to manage 100% of our business I don't think I could do it because there's just too much but by being able to you know trust my business partner and he trusts me and you know I handled the operations and, and you know he handles all of our legal financial kinds of things it takes a lot of pressure off me and it takes a lot of focus pressure on off him like, yeah we both focus on what and we have yeah. a great partnership we uh, like any two people we don't always agree but we are like any good relationship you're able to figure out you know how do you get to where you want to be even though there's um, different viewpoints and the great thing is is you know, most of the time we do agree, and most of the time we do have a shared idea of where we where we want to go. But uh, it's been a, it's been three years, over three years that we've been partners now, three and a half. And uh, restaurants are coming up on September third. It'll be three year anniversary here. So yeah, that's great. It's been going great. You know.
0: So so the rubs, while maybe they didn't bring up enough revenue to open the restaurant, it really brought you the partner to help open open the restaurant.
1: That's correct, and I've told the people at the Royal this too, if it wasn't for um, the walk across the dirt in 2009 to that stage, none of this would happen because the rubs were there. The rub, one rub was, no, two rubs were there, but um, there were some people using it, but uh, it really put us on the map, and being from Kansas City and winning the American Royal, I mean, you can't get any better than that. because everyone in this city knows what that is and what it means. And so it's opened up a lot of doors. It's given us some credibility. Um, it's allowed people to trust that, you know, maybe we do know what we're doing and they'll come in and give us a try. And we're not just some other barbecue shack along the road. And so uh, if it wasn't for the American Royal, the rubs and sauces wouldn't be here At least not in the way they are They may not even be around anymore mm-hmm. um, And certainly the restaurants wouldn't have, wouldn't have happened And I would even say that The longevity and the competition world Probably wouldn't have happened either I probably would have given it up a while ago So I think the, the biggest thing to ever happen for us As a, as a business and um, as a brand Is the American Royal by far by far. How do you keep the consistency
0: at your restaurant? Is that is that the toughest job, is the consistency? Because you said, you you know, try to get one the first person to the last person over a nine hour stretch. Is that the most difficult part or is there any other uh,
1: portions of the restaurant that are more difficult? There are definitely other parts that are more difficult. And I think the consistency, first of all, I think consistency for us is one of the things that we're kind of known for Um, at least that's what I hear and I appreciate that and I like hearing that because that's a goal. There are certain things that we don't have on our menu because I can't make them consistently good. There are things I would like to take off of our menu because I don't feel like they are consistent enough but people like them and they want them. I mean I'll be honest I wish we didn't sell burn-ins because they are very, very challenging. and I love your burnt ends, by the way. Yeah, and a lot <laughs> of people do. They're, they're either our first, second, or third bestseller, depending on what day you walk in. But they are the most challenging thing we do because of the way we do them. And I could make uh, a much inferior product, but I don't want to do that either. So yeah there there are things that we do that are just dead on easy for us pork is dead on easy for us because we have a good process my opinion uh, pork is the best thing we do because um, it is very good I, I will stand behind our pork every single day I think it's a great product but I think it's a consistent product I don't have where I come in and it tastes or or the texture or anything's different than it is the day before so in my mind my best product is one that's a quality product that's a consistent product I will take that over a quality product that isn't you know a better quality product that's not as consistent in a business you're trying to build loyalty loyalty is based on trust and if you can't trust the product, each time you come in then you're not going to be loyal and if you're not loyal I can't have a business and at the end of the day as much as um, you know we that love barbecue want to be just puristically passionate about the food there is a business part to what we're doing Um, this isn't my backyard and so the things that I may want to do in my backyard may be different than here because uh, because I have to have to make money at it. It has to be cost effective, the food cost portion of it has to be there. But again what I have on my menu and how I do it has to play into that loyalty factor because if I don't have that I don't have a business. And so the for us consistency is about product selection Um, and I could go on about you know, the types of things we bring in the back door. Um, Our briskets are the same briskets from the same supplier. They're 28 day aged. They're certified Angus beef. They're a quality product coming in and they are the same product every time. And we source them specifically for that. We are not out shopping the best price. I'm not out trying to figure out where I can save a nickel or a dime on this case of brisket versus that case of brisket because And there have been times where we've done that and learned our lesson. And all of a sudden, the quality of the product you're enjoying out in the dining room is different because of what I brought in the back door. So finding the best products that work the best for our process and then keeping them locked in. So do you
0: read your reviews when you make those types of changes just to see if it's noticed by the end
1: consumer? I try to read reviews as little as possible. Okay. (laughs) But... First of all, we probably know it ourselves. I mean, there's probably not a lot that shocks us in terms of, you know, I think we, again, like like I was saying about competition barbecue, you, you, you have that baseline, you know what good food is. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we probably are like, oh, that was a bad move. You know, this isn't as good. It may not, I mean, if it was terrible, we wouldn't sell it, but I mean, it, It's not as good as what we're doing, we need to go back to that. But we also, we also are in our dining room, we talk to our customers, you know. I would much rather talk to a customer face to face and have a dialogue with them and be able to ask them more questions and, you know, maybe point them to something to get their opinion on it than just reading someone's review. Especially the, you know, the Yelp and things like that, they're typically not very helpful. I mean, I don't know, you probably think they're being helpful, but whenever we get a phone call or get someone to come up and talk to us whether it's good or bad Mm -hmm. um, you know feedback is a gift both good and bad feedback is a gift what I hate is when someone um, is unsatisfied and I don't hear about it because I don't know there's a problem to fix maybe so but yeah I mean in terms of consistency it's, it's the product coming in the back door but then we have very rigid process and I come from 23 years of IT repeatable process is key so you know in two restaurants seven days a week we're open 362 days a year I can't cook everything I have to trust that other people are following the processes that I've laid out and I have to make sure my processes are repeatable and understandable and it's not a a pinch of this and a dash of that it has to be very spelled out otherwise you're not gonna get the same thing if I cook it versus one of the other guys. So process is very, very key for us in that consistency as well. You know, like I said, there are some things that it's just hard to have a good consistent process around so we don't do them. And I can tell you there are things on our menu that, you know, they're so easy for us to produce that it's really, you don't think much about it. Then there are some things that they seem like they're always a challenge. Macaroni and cheese and burn ends. Those are our <laughs> two biggest, like, constantly it's fine for a while and all of a sudden. And they're, they're, they're hard to do. They're hard to do the way we do them. Now, I could get pre-made stofers like mac and cheese, throw it in an oven and throw it online. We don't do that. All of our noodles are, you know, we blanch and cook all of our noodles in-house and our cheese sauce is scratch-made that's the way we're going to do it. So by doing it that way, it makes it harder. But, you know, I'd rather have that. If i got to buy Stouffer's mac and cheese, I'd just rather not have mac and cheese. So makes sense.
0: So what was the hardest part about getting this place open,
1: from your perspective? That's a good question. I think probably just the stress of... Um, trying to get open and hitting a date, and not necessarily knowing how things needed to be set up in the back of the house. I think the front of the house and the way that we envisioned things to work were pretty good. Um, we brought in a designer to help lay out color palettes and help us with um, how we wanted things to look, but you know, it was. And initially, it was the hours. I mean, I was here at 6 a.m. I was going home at 11 or 11.30, coming back the next day. You know, How every, long of a stretch was that? Uh, like two weeks. Uh-huh. It was murder. It was murder. And just, again, trying to do a catering job every day. And I had to learn that it, you you can't survive that way. So we quickly had to change the way we were doing things but keep true to our food Um, we didn't have the drive-thru open for the first three months we were closed on Mondays the first three months and uh, you know thank goodness because we were just we were drowning (laughs) we made it through but uh, you know now we look back on where we were three years ago to today and it's, it's it's amazing how much we've learned and continue to learn every day I was just We're struggling right now with facilities and our HVAC systems all off, and so we get a lot of humidity in here, and and so we have to keep it very, very cold, which is uncomfortable, but then the humidity is uncomfortable, and so I was spending time on the phone today with a professional learning about HVAC systems, and you know, there's, when you own a business and you own the facility, and you know, you you gotta understand a lot, and, um, it's more you know, I get a lot of people that come and talk to me about wanting to open a barbecue restaurant that have no restaurant experience and I didn't have any either mm-hmm. but you know the first thing I tell them is if you have some romantic idea of you have your head in the smoker and you're just gonna sit back in the back and make all this food and and just turn it out to everyone and say well up and, here <laughs> and, and sit back and watch all their you know smiling faces enjoy your creation man, don't do it because that's, that's, you know, being a good cook is one out of 10 things you gotta be great at. And you can hire or outsource maybe two or three of those things, but you can't outsource nine of them. You know, you can't, you can't just sit back and be the cook and expect a bunch of other people to do everything else. You have to be a lot closer to your business than that. I think sometimes folks that just love to cook and love barbecue, you know, they, it becomes this romantic dream of having their, their name on the, on the building. And it's a big deal. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge deal. And it's a huge prideful deal. I mean, I'm very proud of the fact that we built this, but you know, I, uh, I wish I could be back in the kitchen full time. That's where my heart is, but the business demands more of me than, than that. And that's the advice I give, the first advice I give people when they come up and, I want to do a restaurant and tell me, you know, can I pick your brain? First thing I do is talk them out of it. And I had a lot of people trying to talk me out of it. So the second thing I tell them is, I had a lot of people trying to talk me out of it and it got to the point where the more people try to talk me out of it, the more emboldened, emboldened me to want to do it. And I said, if you can, you have to listen But at the same time, you gotta decide for yourself, do I wanna believe that or not? You know, restaurants fail in the first year, you can't make it, blah, blah, blah. It's all true and you can listen to it, but it's up to you to decide if you have it in you to make it through that or not. And, um, you know, we were told at the Blue Springs location that you know it was a bad location, Wendy's didn't survive, so how could you survive? Uh, That's a question I had, actually. <laughs> the, the, There's no entrance off of the major highway. There's nothing down on this end of town. All of that. Well, the, I mean, I heard that so many times. And and really, at that point, the ship had sailed. I mean, we already bought the place. I already signed the, the mortgage. <laughs> so, you know, telling me these things wasn't going to change that I had to open this place or, uh, you know, declare bankruptcy, I guess. But... You know if you make it through all of the detractors and naysayers and you still are wanting to do it as strongly or even stronger than before then absolutely do it but don't disregard them either I mean you got to listen to there's some wisdom in all that and you got to listen to it and take it to heart but for me instead of discouraging me it just uh, sometimes it just pissed me off I just like man, I'm gonna do this, just to prove all you wrong. And I think you gotta have some of that, um, that fire in your belly. And those people were stoking the fire for me. They didn't even know it. They thought they were trying to be, you know, my friend and, and you know, put some sense in me, but I kind of knew who I was and knew that how bad I wanted to do it. I knew my strengths and I knew my weaknesses. I had a plan for dealing with those weaknesses. Um, I'm not a front of the house guy. It makes me very nervous. It makes me very uncomfortable when I'm out in the front of the house. It wears me out terribly because I'm I'm kind of an introverted guy sometimes. But I found the right people that had the skills that I didn't have, and they're awesome, and they're still with me today. And they are they are the face of Paw boys probably more than I am sometimes. And so you know you know there were risks in us doing this but then I had to look at and be truthful with myself what were those risks and how was I going to mitigate it You know, how was I going to mitigate the fact that I had no re- restaurant experience how was I going to mitigate the fact that I'm some, sometimes a uh, you know uh, back-of-the-house kinda guy and not a front-of-the-house kinda guy how was I gonna deal with that so but yeah Wendy's was here in they, they'd survived here for about six years And then they closed for seven. We opened almost seven years to the month that they had closed. And so this building had sat here in decay and the roof had started to become compromised. And when it would rain, there would be a small waterfall above the friars. Oh, wow. And so, um, you know, we probably were two or three years away from this thing just needing to be bulldozed under um if we wouldn't have bought it there was nobody coming in and buying it you know what some people would come in and and see a mess we saw an opportunity um, we had to gut a lot of the insides i'll say this is the best wendy's makeover i've ever seen <laughs> i mean
0: you would never never really guess that it was a wendy's
1: some people see it and some people don't some people see the pieces that are still a little wendy's and can pick it out and some people ask what was this this had to have been something else (laughs) but um you know we the first week we owned it job one was putting a new roof on and then um, job two was seven long days of mold remediation you know just making sure there was no mold in here making sure it was safe and um, they gutted any porous surface that we had got gutted all the drywall this basically would...
0: lift with the brick outside yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and honestly in some cases that was true underneath the windows they didn't uh, seal the windows properly so under most of the windows in the dining room they it was like oatmeal underneath and they had to take all that out and you could see the exterior brick facade which is not structural <laughs> <laughs> and so there was repairs that had to be made there all the ductwork had to come out drop ceiling there was carpet in here if you can believe it and how nasty that was oh, after yeah. seven years I love the floor. And so, awesome. so um, the, the, it was cool, like, after 10 days, they came back, and so the process, we learned again, you learn a lot about things when you own a business. We learned so much about, you know, how to clean up a facility, and we brought in a professional company to do it, because some of it was not... You, know, you go was, run a
0: service pro if you wanted to. Yeah, I mean it was
1: <laughs> some of it was dangerous stuff that they had to make sure they had respirators and things. But when they came back in ten days later, and they they can measure the amount of mold spores and 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 those kind of things in the air, it was equal to the ambient air outside. Oh wow! And so it was just really cool having seen what the place was to what it to what it is to what it was then and what it is now. And you know sometimes you know it's like. To know that this is a healthy place to eat food in, you just wouldn't have known that before. In our opinion, we saved a a blighted building that was all boarded up for seven years in our community. Mm -hmm. The community's happy about that. I mean, we hear that. You know, they're happy that we did something with this instead of it being an eyesore with all the overgrown landscaping. And the bushes on the road, I'm 6'1", they were over my head. They were six and a half feet tall. Mm You could see the top of the building and that was it. And they stretched the whole front of the property. When I sent my business partner to come look at this, he called me, he says, I've been up and down Seven Highway three times. What are you talking about? I said, it's behind all the bushes. (laughs) And you couldn't, a lot of people didn't even know this building was here. And so, you know, there was a lot of work in 2013. I spent my entire summer, we opened in 93 days after purchase. And I spent my wow. I spent my entire summer without a paycheck out here every day, seven days a week, working about 16 to 18 hours a day working on this place. Lost a little weight, that was good, but uh, you know. And then and then we open, and then it's two weeks of there were there were days I there were nights I slept on the on the kitchen floor in here because it was like well I could go home or I could just sleep for a couple hours, nice. and I would grab a bag of towels and lay on the floor so you know you got to do what you got to do and if you have a passion for what you want to do and come hell or high water you're gonna make it happen you will do whatever you have to do to make it happen and I'm glad I don't have to sleep on the on the, on the floor anymore <laughs> yeah I'm glad I don't have to sleep on the quarry <laughs> tile anymore but you know what that's that's what you got to do in the beginning to make it go so now then that was September you said September of 13? September
0: 3rd of 2013 was our opening day. So then, in less than 16 months, you expanded to downtown? 15 months. 15 months. Yep. So, wh- what did you learn with that expansion? And are, is there any more expansion?
1: So, the expansion to Kansas City started, it started four months after we opened here. And it took that long. Our first meeting we opened it in September. Our first meeting on Kansas City was in November. We then opened Now did you know you were going to do that from day 1? No. We okay. our goal has been 3 to 5 restaurants from day 1. Okay. You know, it's easy to have goals when you haven't even started. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that was always the thing. It wasn't one it wasn't one location. It was multiples. Mm-hmm. It wasn't 26 franchises or 100 fran you know it was it was 3 to 5 probably in the metro area maybe one outside but you know that was kind of the thought that we had <clears throat> we we saw we started looking at Kansas City and seeing where the holes were and downtown was a hole and Danny Edwards um, little jakes had moved out in 2007 and here we were seven years later, uh, eight years later, coming back into downtown. And other than Famous Dave's, there was no barbecue downtown mm-hmm. for eight years. And so, it you know, geographically, there's barbecue close to us within a mile or two. You've got Jack Stack and you know, Southwest Boulevard is not very far away with Danny Edwards and Rosedale's. You've got Winslow's on the... But we really... Unlike Blue Springs, we saw it as a very small, the downtown several block, yeah, you know, four or five block radius, mm-hmm. and sometimes really a two to three block radius, and so the concentration of people made a lot of sense, and just the notion that there's a lot of people doing business lunches, there's a lot of catering opportunities, so that's why we targeted downtown. There were other areas of the city that looked interesting, but. We kind of thought downtown might be a nope. good place to go. KC Food Guys did an article
0: on the—we call it the barbecue dead zone—up in Liberty North End. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: is there more expansion out there potentially, or for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. We're, you know, we're. We know that it takes a year. We've looked. Gosh, we've looked at. I'm trying to count in my head, I bet we've looked at seven different properties over the last two years from from liberty to Platte city to overland park to gosh where else have we looked seems like i'm missing an area but i mean we've looked all over the city and again you're looking for holes and you're um you're looking for a place that has real estate available too Mm -hmm. um you know we're not going to come in and and pop up a two million dollar building building uh-huh. you know we we may want to own we may want to lease um you know we're we're doing both right now we own one restaurant we lease the other one because it's not high rise nice. that yeah you're not going to buy that we're not going to buy the town <laughs> pavilion so uh, you know there's a lot that goes into it there's a lot of demographics that go into it and then it's just finding the right location it's got to have all the right things you know the thing about Blue Springs, it may not be the best location on paper. Like if I was corporate Wendy's or corporate whoever, and I'm looking for a location, I would look right over this place. But I live here, mm-hmm. and my my uh, my neighborhood is right behind here. I live .7 miles away. My kids go to two different. One goes to elementary school. One goes to middle school. Both within a half. One is a quarter of a mile away, the other one's a quarter of a mile, half a mile away. Our church is here, our friends are here, our scout group is here. And so the one thing that we knew was we knew the community. Um, we had a good base of people that knew us, so that would mm-hmm. be a good primer. We had some people that would evangelize for us and, you know, hey, that place, yeah, they're friends of ours, things like that. Mm-hmm. But we knew the patterns and we knew the lifestyle of the people that are here because we're one of them. We are the community and so we knew that we didn't need access off 7 Highway. We knew that people down here really did need something other than McDonald's um, or in addition to McDonald's. I'm not saying McDonald's is a bad thing but you know they want choices down here too. We have 10 churches within a mile of us. We have 1800 rooftops within a mile of us. So, you know, it made a lot of sense, but unless you lived here, you wouldn't know that. You would look at it on paper and dismiss it. So when we look at other locations, we don't have that opportunity. We don't live in Liberty. We don't live in the Northland in Gladstone or whatever. So. It's a little harder for us to kind of, we're back to what other people do looking at it on paper and does it look right and certain things we're looking for. And so. But I think right now we're focused on moving the downtown location. Mm-hmm. We're moving from 56 seats to 129 seats inside and uh, another 30 seats outside or 36 seats outside. Um, on two different patios. So we're going to have about 100... And gets you right in front of the streetcar. The streetcar is 8 to 10 feet from our door. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on a very great 12th and Main intersection. Mm-hmm. We thought we would go downtown and get all this lunch crowd from the businesses, but we also thought conventions and when tournaments are in town and all those concerts and all that, that you know we'd have to be open late and we'd get all this business. And what we learned was there are certain parts of downtown there are certain intersections and certain streets that that's true and those that aren't. And we are one block away from where we're moving and we've been downtown and watched enough patterns to know that we are one block away from all the action. And it's it's that's how critical sometimes location can be. Now here in Blue Springs where we're at, we have a lot of things going against us, we can overcome it. Downtown, We've tried a lot of things to get people when they're in town for conventions to just walk a block, walk one block, and you can have the only barbecue in downtown Kansas City. And you know that eating Kansas City barbecue is on their bucket list when they come to town. Mm -hmm. They're a block away, and they don't even know it. And we've tried so many ways to get people, and we get a lot of referrals from the hotels. Mm -hmm. But we're missing so many people that are coming into downtown because we're just in the wrong spot and uh, that is how kind of I don't want to say fickle maybe sensitive downtown is it's
0: you
1: know and there are people that just have their the people that work down there live down there they have their patterns too and if you're in their pattern you get noticed and if you're out of their pattern they don't even know you exist so it's a our two restaurants are in two very different markets two very different ways of operating and two very different customer bases but the one thing we did learn was when we opened downtown, we immediately saw a 15% increase in sales in Blue Springs. And the people that worked downtown that didn't know of us in Blue Springs that live out in eastern Jackson County all of a sudden started bringing people here. And that weekend, we, we opened on a Wednesday, and on Friday we had people come in and go, I had your place downtown. I didn't even know you are here. I brought my family with me because I wanted them to to experience what I just had downtown. That's and great. so a big part of our growth has been downtown. Downtown only accounts for 25% of our gross sales. But if it wasn't for downtown, we'd probably be missing 25% of our sales here in Blue Springs. So just by having a bigger brand and a bigger presence and, you know, it sometimes out here in eastern Jackson County, you're not even thought of in the Kansas City barbecue mm-hmm. fabric. Um, which, you know, it was disappointing, but I get it. But by having a downtown address, you know, we get on, like you guys, you know, we get on your radar. Um, you know, folks that are, you know, trying to expose more of Kansas City barbecue to people, we're now part of that fabric. And so it was a very good strategy, one that we probably didn't fully appreciate until it happened. Um, doing that expansion was a huge part of the strategy. And um, there are people that know us throughout the city because of downtown my wife and i <clears throat> had a brunch on sunday at happy gillis in uh, columbus park A little tiny place have you ever been there it's i've heard of it i awesome. have not been there it's awesome so we're having lunch at this little diner in, in columbus park north of the river or north of downtown and uh, these two gals there's such limited seating that they sometimes pair you up with people at your little foretop. Mm-hmm. And so we're having lunch with these two women, and we're talking to talking to each other, and we tell them who we are, and we own this restaurant. And the gal says, "Oh, I've been there. I've eaten at your place downtown." And totally knew our business had never been to Blue Springs, but um, you know, it's here, a ways out here for the it downtown is, people. it's sort of 20 miles. Uh huh. So here. You know, here we just happen to sit down at a random restaurant with two random people. Say the name Plowboys, and they know who we are. And that would have happened without downtown. downtown. So, um, not that I care that they know who I am, I you know, Mm -hmm. but just to know that that's how broad of reach our brand is starting to get. um, You know, really tells us we're doing some things right um, in our strategies. So, So before we go to our rapid fire questions, when you go
0: out. Uh, to eat in kansas city where do you like to go what do you like to order so
1: i like to go to local places i get on kicks where all of a sudden i'll start going to the same place like 10 times and uh my family loves town topic it i've lived in can my wife's been here all her life i've been here 24 23 years I only went to Town Topic in like the last year or year and a half, maybe year and a half, and it is now my family's favorite place to go. And as a matter of fact, this last Sunday, we were just like, let's go downtown for let's go downtown <laughs> and grab some burgers. And my kids just love the little diner. We love going to the one on Broadway because it's so small, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they love it. And uh, awesome Great place
0: for a burger. Oh my gosh,
1: the the food's fantastic. You feel like you're getting authentic food. So, Town Topic, one of my sons loves Go Chicken Go, and so whenever we go over to get restaurant equipment, we always stop at Go Chicken Go on the way, and uh, I love going down to um, Kansas Avenue and KCK and stopping at... Um, San Antonio's and getting tacos there. And as a matter of fact, we're going there tomorrow. <laughs> Taking one of my general managers there tomorrow, we're gonna eat tacos. And so, you know, one of the things that, that's different about what we get to do in barbecue is that, you know, our food is not manufactured for our process. Our process is manufactured for our food. You know, if, if I'm a fast food burger joint, you better know that, you know, that food was built for that process. You know, the the, the hockey pucks that come in the frozen in the mm-hmm. box that get put on the grill or the, the 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 chicken breaded chicken things and all that stuff. That food was built for that application. And it was engineered for that application. And you could not go out and just Create that yourself. There is a whole food science kitchen going into that. Here, it's the exact opposite. Our process is built around our food. Our food's not built around our process. As manufactured as my food gets, is a raw brisket coming in the back door that's, that's whole. And then we trim it out, we season it, we cook it, and we turn it out. So, my food's not manufactured. You know, it's it's raw product being cooked by real people and getting turned out into a, a finished product. Mm-hmm. And you just do not get that at a fast food place or a fast casual place that's corporate. You don't get it. And so, you know, you, you go to Go Chicken Go or Town Topic or San Antonio's Taqueria or uh, Happy Gillis. You're getting real food. You're getting, you know, and I'm not big into farm-to-table. It's not a huge deal for me, but I respect the fact that, like, I don't care where it comes from, but at least I know it didn't come out of a lab or a plant somewhere. It came off of a farm. And and so uh, that's where I like to go, and the things that I appreciate is, you know, something that somebody with... Uh, a little heart put something into it. Too. Put a little love into put it. Put in a little love into it, <laughs> and and it just wasn't some some chemist that you know is put some thought into something that can be so mass produced that you know you get the consistency but you don't get the quality. You know, I I can eat a hamburger at a fast food joint uh, a million times and it's the same hamburger. So what? You know, uh, you know bring that raw beef in and that's, you know, bring only raw beef in and serve me that hamburger the same way a thousand times. And then I'll be impressed, you know, like town topic, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to, they're going to take that, that ball of meat and put it on the grill and smash it down. And it's like, it's heaven. So
0: totally agree. So I want to end up with some rapid fire questions. Totally. Thank you for allowing me the time to sit down with you and pick your brain. So I'm gonna ask you five questions. They're gonna be real quick. The answer kind of first thing comes to mind. It's your least favorite thing or job to do in the kitchen.
1: If I was at home, I would say the dishes. I am my wife knows I hate to do the dishes. Um because I don't like touching someone else's food. Once that <laughs> here's the ironic thing is I touch raw food all the time. Huh? But once it makes it on your plate, I don't wanna to touch it. Right. So I don't like scraping plates, I don't like I don't like busing tables. But back here we have a, a dish machine which you just put the stuff on, you close the door, it's done in 90 seconds. I love doing dishes here. <laughs> I hate doing them at home. So yeah, I don't like touching Put all your dishes in a tub and run them up here. Exactly. <laughs> so that's the thing I hate is, is touching food after it's been out in the dining room and it comes back in. Cool. Right. I hate it. Most underrated food to cook with? Pork. I don't think that there are cuts of pork. I don't think we eat enough pork. I think, it's, I think there's so much more we could be doing with that. We eat way too much beef and chicken. I'd love to see more pork. Uh, besides barbecue, what do you think KC is best known for, food-wise? Well, definitely not pizza. <laughs> I've, been on a, I've been on a pizza hunt, and there are very few really good pizza places. I, I would say steaks, but it's too close to barbecue. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna say probably Mexican food. I think there's a lot of good authentic Mexican, especially in the taco arena. Mm-hmm. A lot of tacaritas
0: All right, brisket or ribs? Brisket. All right. And what is the best thing on the Flaw Boys menu?
1: Turkey and sausage combo sandwich. Turkey and sausage combo sandwich. Right. And only because. I'm gonna steer you to the pork, but if you're gonna ask me what I'm gonna eat, it's that. And uh, my wife and I will eat the turkey and sausage all the time because we didn't use. We've eaten a lot of pork. We've eaten a lot of brisket. <laughs> you know, caterings you with caterings it's pork, brisket, ribs. We've eaten so much of that that we don't get much turkey and sausage. And it's a great combo. Our sausage on anything's good. Awesome.
0: Todd Michael Johns with Plowboys. Thanks for joining the KC Food Guys podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Todd for taking the time to sit down with us and being so open and sharing his story. Plowboys is certainly making a name for itself, and I highly suggest giving them a try. They made our final four in our Kansas City barbecue bracket this year by beating out Jack Stack, and we were very impressed. I think we even have a video of my visit there on YouTube, so if you want to try that, uh, check it out. If you do make it to Plowboys, I'm going to suggest having their ribs or their burn ends. I know Todd said the burn-ins were difficult, uh, but they have some of the best in town. Also, for the side dish, get the cheesy potato side dish. That thing was awesome. So in closing, uh, let us know your thoughts. Be sure to leave us an iTunes review. Uh, It helps other people find the podcast. Also, share it on social media. That's another way to get the word out. And if you haven't already done so, sign up for our KC Food Guys Insider Deals uh, and get local insider deals each month around Kansas City. And if you have a restaurant and want to get a deal uh, set up on the insider page, shoot me an email and I'll get you a hookup. So until next time, Kansas City, eat up.